Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. To say something is skin deep implies a shallowness that fails to recognize the depth of function and protection our skin provides. Dermatology 101, tonight on call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. Hello, I'm Dr. Deborah Johnston, tonight's host. We are celebrating 20 seasons of On Call with the Prairie Doc, delivering truthful, tested, and timely medical information. Continuing that tradition is our goal for tonight's discussion. And joining us in our studio on the South Dakota State University campus in Brookings are Drs. Sarah Sarbacher and Mandy Greenway. Dr. Sarbacher is with Dakota Dermatology of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Dr. Greenway is with Avera Medical Group Dermatology in Mitchell, South Dakota. Welcome, ladies. It's so great to have you. Thank you for taking time out of your day and coming all the way up here to Brookings to, to join us on the show. So, Dr. Greenway, let's, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I grew up here in South Dakota, um, right by Mitchell on a farm nearby there. So I didn't travel very far in my life, <laughs> um, but I went to school at Augustana and then medical school at USD um, and residency in Wisconsin and then came back to my first practice. So I've been there for almost six years now. Fantastic. Dr. Sarbacher. I'm a North Dakota girl, and I always say I'm moving south just slowly. Uh, so I you're not, you're not making it very fast either. <laughs> you've, you've been in Sioux Falls almost as long as I've been in Brookings. Yes, I think 25 years. Yeah, pretty yeah. close. Yep. Yep. I did um, medical school and undergraduate both at the University of North Dakota, and then a year at Mayo, and then Columbia, Missouri for dermatology. And then I joined Jim McGran, and we started Dakota Dermatology in Sioux Falls. And you've been here ever since? Been here ever since. Fabulous. So Mandy, what drew you to dermatology? Well, I think it was the, the clinic day. You know, I mean, we get to see all ages, all sexes. We get to, you know, see really happy little babies with a couple, you know, benign things and then see some really serious skin conditions. And it's just a wide variety of things, clinic patients and surgery patients all day long. How about you, Sarah? I had the good fortune to marry a man whose dad was a dermatologist. John Sarbacher was a longtime dermatologist up in Fargo, North Dakota, and as a medical student, um, I spent a bunch of time with him. I don't think I'd heard, I don't think I knew what a dermatologist was back then, <laughs> right? We used to say we were skin doctors because nobody used to know what it was. There is a lot more education in the world now. Yes. Yes, and the show is part of it. And we look forward to answering your questions about dermatology. Call us at 1-888-376-6225. Send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org or ask on our Prairie Doc Facebook page. Each night we work to answer as many of your questions as possible given the time we have for the episode. But to encourage you to get your questions in earlier, those of you who ask a question during the first 20 minutes of tonight's program 
will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Dock gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of the program. Your question will remain anonymous, but be sure to provide your name and contact information when you submit your questions so that we can contact the winner. And we've actually had some questions even before the show started, so that's fantastic. We'll get, get right on that here. Um, so we have a email from someone in Williston, North Dakota. Where is Williston? That's my neck of the woods. <laughs> I grew up about 90 miles south of there. Okay. Um, she reads our Prairie Dot column in the newspaper, and she has a couple of questions. What benefit are lotions and oils to our skin and our overall health? We'll start with that. Do you want to take your North Dakota? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say in general, they just make your skin more comfortable, especially living up north in the winter, in the cold. Do they really give you long-term benefit? Probably not, but they make you feel better. Uh, softer, smoother, and you're not so darn itchy. Yeah, <laughs> and certainly for some people with eczema, you know, it is, an, it is a really important part of the treatment for that, not just for comfort, but for actually treating the underlying issue. Um, so she also has another part to that question. Are there some uh, that have chemicals that will be harmful to our skin or our health? Mandy. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of a hard question. Today there are so many options, as you've noticed. Every once in a while I like to go to, you know, one of the, one of the department stores and just, and just look at the aisles because to try to get an idea of what my patients go through because there are so many options. I think, you know, the big names in, in skin brands are the big names for a reason. I think you can't go wrong with some of them. Of course, there's going to be certain ones that are harmful for one person or another. But in general, I think our, you know, our, our FDA, FDA does a good job of, of vetting skincare products. Right. Yeah. Um, are there some that are more beneficial than others? One of my favorites, to name one by name, is I think my favorite at this point is CeraVe Cream. Comes in a tub. Um, I think it's a nice heavy one without being too greasy. Um, yeah, I agree. And, and people always want to know brands, which is hard. I, we have no sponsorships, but yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. No, 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 no sponsorships. sponsorships. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cetaphil, CeraVe are a couple of my favorites. And again, a lot of the good ones have various things that are better for one thing or another, but one I also recommend a lot. The, the one that I recommend is the one that you'll use. Yes. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Although I tend to tell people to try to avoid those scents if their skin is kind of sensitive. So uh, she wants to know, should we use lotions on dry skin or just let it be dry? Well, it depends if it bothers you. You know, I always ask my patients, you know, I'll, I'll look at somebody's skin and it looks so dry and it looks uncomfortable, but if it doesn't bother them, well, that's fine. But, but yeah, if you're itchy and bothered by it, absolutely feel better, put lotion on. <laughs> but if you're not itchy, you don't need to. And it's not cracking and yeah, okay. And then we have another email. This one came from Vermilion, a little closer to Brookings here. Uh, what are some over-the-counter shampoos? Can we use some over-the-counter shampoos for seborrheic dermatitis on the scalp? Sarah. Absolutely, there's all kinds of great ones over-the-counter. Um, head and Shoulders is a zinc-based. Selenium Sulfide is Selsun Blue. That's a little bit more drying, so if you tend to be a little bit oily. Um, or we have the coal tar-based ones, like 
Um, tea gel, they're a little bit smelly, so I don't like those quite as well. Um, and then another good one is one called Nizoral, and Nizoral can, you can, it's a 1% over the counter and a 2% prescription, so I like all those. And typically with seborrheic dermatitis, you know, when people are dry and scaly, they think they shouldn't shampoo as much, but it's really the opposite. They should shampoo more every day, every other day. And then sometimes people will get eyebrows or along the folds of their face. And so one of the things that the tricks they can do is they can shampoo their face or shampoo in their ears, behind their ears, and that tends to help too. What is seborrheic dermatitis? What, what, what would a patient notice? What would the average individual who doesn't have it or who has never been told they had it, what would they notice? So usually they're going to notice redness and flaking and itching. Um, and again, most commonly on the scalp, but as Dr. Sarberg mentioned, eyebrows, you know, sides of the cheeks here behind the ears, sometimes even on the upper chest or back. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to look like dandruff, you know, um, quote unquote dandruff, but also it gets red and itchy with it. Uh, how about home remedies? Any ideas for home remedies for seborrheic dermatitis? Probably some oils, and again, probably cleansing more rather than less. Yeah, I, I would agree, I guess. And I usually tell people, um, as somebody with curly hair, I, I can't wash my hair every day, you know? <laughs> but I tell people, when you're gonna shampoo your hair, really make it work. So lather it onto the, you're focusing on the skin, um, and let it set on for several minutes to do its job. So if you can't wash it, you know, every single day, if it needs to be every other day, make it worthwhile when you do it. We have a viewer from Washington Springs who has a 50-year-old daughter uh, who gets red cheeks followed by a red rash. Any ideas, ladies? Hmm, is that winter getting dry? Is that rosacea? Could be a few different things. So one of the things you might want to start with is lotioning, be a good lotioner, uh, don't use cleansers, cleansers are too drying. Um, yeah, I would agree, I say treat it like baby skin, be very gentle, and then if you've still got problems, that's when you come see us. That's right, go see your friendly local dermatologist. <laughs> uh, we have a question by email saying that this individual has many white patches on the top of his hands and up the arms. Any ideas for this? Well, yeah, it kind of depends on age and how long they've been there and if they're white, white, or they're just kind of lighter than the rest of the skin. One of the things we think of is an autoimmune disease called vitiligo, but again, that we'd probably need to know more, I guess. Yeah, I think that's one of the real challenges, certainly that I, as a primary care person, have in dermatology is the, here's spots. How do I accurately describe these spots so that my dermatologist colleagues have an idea about what I'm seeing, and that is really difficult. And uh, you know, for me, I've at least had some medical school and and other pictures that I can look at and say, okay, well, it looks like this. I think it's this. That's how they describe it. Let's give them that. Uh, but it's really hard for for the average individual to be able to describe their spots, which is one of the challenges I always have with the portal you know, are um, the ability patients have to send in a question on directly to us, which is great and I love it, but I can't treat your spots over, <laughs> over the portal. I really need to be able to see your spots. 
So the other thing that this makes me think about is, um, you know, depending on the age of this person, they may have sun damage uh, that could do that. I'd think about even psoriasis or those kinds of things. There's a lot of things that can cause white patches. Uh, and if they're white patches and spreading, maybe it's also time to go see your dermatologist or at least your primary care doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we have a woman in Sioux Falls who gets folliculitis every summer on her stomach, waist, and arms. She uses calamine lotion and showers and powders, but nothing seems to work. Any ideas? Hmm, heat, growers. Uh, it could maybe be a few different things. I mean, that is not a typical area to get folliculitis. Um, so, and we think about folliculitis. So, folliculitis is either an inflammation or infection of the hair follicle. And I would say probably the most common thing we have is a mechanical folliculitis. You typically see it in men, and they get it on the tops of their thighs, wearing jeans, hot, sweaty weather, and you know, you know, rubbing that hair back and forth. So, a little bit unusual, like on the abdomen. Yeah, unless it's that waistband. Under the waistband. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Could be heat and friction. So start by staying cool, trying to avoid occluding those areas, um, and again, go see a dermatologist. <laughs> folliculitis can be, like a mechanical folliculitis can be a difficult issue. Yeah. yeah, and that's something we'll also often see in men that are shaving, or women right. that are shaving on their legs. So, uh, How about rosacea? First off, Sarah, what is rosacea? You mentioned that a little earlier, so Rose what is it? We used to call it acne rosacea, but now the acne has been dropped, and so typically it's through the cheeks and the nose. Uh, usually it's an adult. It wouldn't necessarily have to be somebody who had acne as a child, uh, and you tend to get redness, flushing, blushing, pimples, pustules, um, and some dilated blood vessels. And you can have a varying amount of those. I always tell people we're the best at treating the pimples and the pustules. Um, the broken blood vessels and the flushing can be harder. We do have some new medications for that. And then sometimes things like lasers or uh, IPL, BBL, things What's that actually. That? IPL, BBL. Um, so those are, sorry, those are. Um, <laughs> no, because uh, I don't know either, right? so. <laughs> uh, IPLs are intense pulse lights, and a BBL okay. is a type of the, and what they do is they, they target colors in your face. They target reds, they target browns. Um, so some of the red and flushing and blushing, you have to do something destructive to make those better. And in general, people don't like to be red, um, so people kind of hate that. Okay. Anything this individual might be able to do at home to kind of help their rosacea? So one thing I always tell patients is to try to figure out if they can find any triggers of their rosacea. So everybody's a little bit different, but you know, some common triggers are um, alcohol, caffeine, hot foods, so like spicy hot as well as temperature hot. Um, stress, sunlight, we see a lot of that. So I was joking, one of the um, students earlier was asking me about feeling like I need to have my skin clear all the time. Um, and I said, well, yes, and of course I have rosacea. And this morning, <laughs> as I'm getting nervous for this, I, you know, my cheeks break out. So trying to find those things that trigger you and then of course try to avoid those if you can. Um, that can be one thing that you can help. Some things are easier to avoid yes. than others are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> The most effective technique for treating many basal and squamous cell carcinomas is called Mohs surgery. Here's one woman's story and her doctor's treatment. 
um, I had developed this little sore on uh, the bridge of my nose that um, looked like a pimple, but it was more of an open sore. And so I put triple antibiotic on it, thinking maybe I'd bump my nose and it went away, but then it returned and I did the same thing again. And then it returned. And after a while I thought this isn't normal. So I better see my dermatologist. And so the first step was obtain a diagnosis, which did show uh, basal cell carcinoma. And what we're doing in most surgery is uh, an office-based procedure uh, where we remove the skin cancer, but then also examine 100% of the margin under, the, under a microscope while the patient waits in the office. So what that looks like is we, we numb the skin just like we did for the biopsy. We remove surgically a piece of tissue that looks to be the skin cancer and then process it in a lab right across the hall where we can then process that in a special way that we can look at 100% of the margin. I Meaning it's kind of like if you were to take a loaf of bread and chop off the crusts, you want to look at the total crust because we already know that there's a skin cancer there. We just want to know if the edge is clear. And so that processing takes anywhere from a half hour, 45 minutes. And then we look at it under the microscope. And if it's all clear, we can go in and close the defect that we've made. If, uh, if it's not clear, we also make a map as we go. So we have the tissue marked with inks so that we know if we still see skin cancer there, we know exactly where it is. And we go back in and just take where we need to, to, to clear that tumor. And so that process is done in stages, if need be, until the the tumor's clear. And by doing that, um, there are a couple of advantages. One is uh, we have a higher cure rate. Uh, cure rate with most surgery for basal cell carcinomas is about 98, 99%. What I would like to say, if anybody looks at their skin and thinks, is that normal? That's your first sign to go see your dermatologist, because if you're questioning it, there, there might be something going on that you need to have checked out further. I wish I had come a little bit earlier than I did. And now I come every time I find something. <laughs> and I'd echo that. Early detection is key. Uh, the earlier we can detect the skin cancer, the, the smaller, presumably, it will be less aggressive. Um, and so presumably a smaller wound, smaller defect, smaller, smaller repair. Um, Sometimes uh, skin cancers are much larger than they appear. And that's the other benefit of Mohs surgery is we are looking at the margin uh, under the microscope. So sometimes skin cancers are a bit like icebergs and what you see on the surface is not what's there. If you see a spot that doesn't seem to behave as normal, a pimple-like bump or a, a sore should heal within a couple of weeks generally. And if that's not the case, then it should be looked at. Most surgery is such a neat technique and such a wonderful option for the right patients. So is it, I know you do some most surgery too, Dr. Starbacher. So how painful is that recovery for that patient? I think it has to do with our patient population. I think this part of the world, people just tend to be very tough because a lot of times people come back and they've taken nothing for pain the whole week. <laughs> but it, but I've had some surgery done on my face. I've had some skin cancer. Um, it doesn't feel that good. <laughs> you know, that numbing medication wears off that day. It hurts. Um, so I'm always kind of impressed with how well people do. But it, yeah, it hurts. So I encourage people to take Tylenol. Um, or ibuprofen, and then sometimes we do use um, some opioids just because sometimes they, deserve, they need it. Sometimes that's a pretty big defect that gets yes. left behind. So, 
you know, that's a pretty sensitive part of the body that we're working on. Yes. So. And here's a question that I think is related. This particular individual had heart surgery, but really any kind of surgery is going to leave a scar. What can we do to improve the appearance of a scar? Dr. Greenway. Yeah, so I always tell people, you know, about half of your scar is what we do during the surgery, and the other half is, is you. And that means just genetically how you heal from scars, how you take care of it, how much tension you put on it, if you keep it moist versus let it dry out. So. I always counsel my patients, don't let it dry out, you know, change the dressing once a day, keep some Vaseline on it, keep it covered. As that scar is remodeling, because it takes a couple months to kind of remodel, gently massage it, you know, and that can help just break up all that scar tissue to make it, make it lie flatter for you. Um, and then sun protection is a huge thing. So as that scar is, is getting mature, don't let it get sun on there, keep it covered all the time. Mandy mentioned Vaseline and when you and I were in medical school, it was antibiotic ointment. Right. Are you, what are you using? Are you using antibiotic ointment? Or? No, I, I think really across the country, most dermatologists use Vaseline, Aquaphor mm -hmm. now. Um, they, they found that the topical antibiotics really don't help that much, and a certain percentage of people can be actually allergic to them, so they can get rashy from them. I've seen a lot of contact dermatologists from antibiotic ointments. Or, yes. Yeah. I was going to say, too, the, getting back to the scars, uh, one thing that is interesting is faces tend to heal the best. You know, location certainly makes a difference. And if you're going to have a big surgery on a shoulder or a back, I mean, almost always the scars don't turn out as nicely as we wish they were, would, whereas where it really counts the most, a lot of times faces heal very nicely. How long will that redness last? I see a lot of patients who had some kind of procedure and they're afraid that this is infected or it's breaking open or, and it's that post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. It's that redness yes. that lasts after. Yes. Uh, it can be at least several weeks, and, and years ago, I, this, really, I, this really struck home to me. I had taken care of a gentleman who had a kidney transplant, so he was immunosuppressed. He was taking drugs that suppressed his immune system, and I had done some superficial shaves on him, and I saw him out, um, and he had me look at him, and there was absolutely no redness around it. And at the time, I, was, I thought, oh, they look so good, they're not red. But then, when I stopped to think about it, um, that really was a bad thing. Like, you, your body should be in there. Um, you know, you, you have white blood cells, red blood cells, platelets, everything's coming in there to try and clean up and repair that area. And he, because of the medications he was taking, didn't have that. Yeah. And sometimes that redness after your scar will, just the redness of the scar, scar. will last a very long time mm -hmm. afterwards. Not, not the healing process, but just that Red. taking mm -hmm. to fade. Yes. So. It's interesting how many people, some people really grow so many new blood vessels in order to heal it up. Other people don't. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes what we'll do if, they, if there is, because a lot of times once you grow those blood vessels, they don't necessarily go away. So you do have that persistent redness. So sometimes what we'll do is we'll go back and laser them a few months and there's all kinds of different lasers, but what we're doing is just trying to um, kill those blood vessels because you just don't really need them anymore. Yeah, they're done. But keeping that scar protected from yeah. yes. that sun is going to help that scar fade faster. So um, we have a question from someone in Clark who wants to know what can we do for eczema? What is the best way to manage eczema? Mandy? 
So biggest thing is how you know how you take care of your skin at home. So I tell people a lot of it is how you wash. So you know, say a child with eczema, I don't care how often you give them a bath, but I want you to only use soap where they really need to use soap and use it at the end of the bath. So don't be sitting in bubbles. That's just stripping all of the oils off your skin. Um, and then while your skin is still wet, you need to be putting a moisturizer on. So think of it like soaking your skin and then sealing it up, sealing that moisture in there. If that's not enough, then we need medicines. Um, and again, sometimes you can start with over-the-counter hydrocortisone, um, but if that's not enough or if it's not working quickly for you, again, we wanna make sure we're using the right medicines in the right area for the right amount of time. Mm -hmm. So right. that's when you see, see a physician. Uh, we have someone from Rapid City who wants to know oh, a plantar wart. Uh, that's a wart. <laughs> <We're all laughs> Those are so uncomfortable and they are so difficult. So a wart on the bottom of the foot. Sarah. Warts. Warts are hard. Vi viruses, COVID. Warts. Um, anything that chronically irritates can be helpful. Um, so a few year, probably a decade or so ago, um, people were using things like duct tape and, and it was hard to know, did it raise the temperature of the skin a little bit? Was it just chronic irritation? I'm a big, I, I do like a lot of topicals and even just like old fashioned compound W, um, but you have to be persistent about it. I always say, put it by your bed, every night at bedtime, put that stuff on, uh, buy an old fashioned emery board and peel it down once in a while and then keep, I, to the point that sometimes you're laying in bed being like, oh, that, that doesn't feel good, that hurts. <laughs> um, but compound W, um, duct tape, chronic injury, you probably have to do it for a few months. You really have to hit them hard. Yeah, it takes a long time. They are really stubborn. So, And I always tell people, look, you don't want to just keep killing the dead layer of skin. You've got to use that emery board. You've got to get that dead layer off to get the medicine down in deeper. So There's like 101 treatments for warts, which tells you we're not that good at them. They're hard. I've None of them I've, work that well. I've seen the PowerPoint slide. I mean, somebody put it up and it's like, oh my gosh, that tells you what you need to know. Yes. And some people just, point. and we don't think it's anything bad, but some people's immune system just, they just don't pay any attention to the, that wart virus. Uh, we have a viewer from Custer who is an older lady, 75, and she's been developing reddish-brown spots on her face. Any ideas? Um, again, kind of hard. I would say kind of the most common brown spot we get on our face is something called a seborrheic keratosis. Um, it's a benign growth that we get with more birthdays. So <laughs> as we get privileged to get more and more birthdays, we get more of those. We also can get sunspots, of course, in areas that we've been exposed to the sun. I would say those are probably the most common brown spots we're going to see on the face, but there can be some others, of a course. A lot of different things. Yes, red. Yep. Maybe if they're a little more red and maybe a little tender, you could think about a precancer called an actinic keratosis, which again tends to come in fair people, sun over their yeah. lifetime. You get to be in your 60s and your 70s. And those. You start noticing those. Go in, get it looked at. Right. Uh, we have a gentleman who has ichthyosis vulgaris. What is that? Mandy. Yeah, so I, I like to think of ichthyosis, similar to how I think of eczema a little bit, um, where it's our skin is kind of like a brick wall. So we think about you know the cells are the bricks and then the mortar is what holds them together. Um, in ichthyosis and sometimes in eczema, that mortar just doesn't work quite right. So it lets too much moisture out. So they can't keep moisture like we'd expect. And so just dry, dry, dry skin all the time, letting too much moisture out. 
kind of a, a pattern that you can often yeah, see, a yep. scaly pattern on those. Ideas for helping this individual? The lo lotion, 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 and, yeah. and some of the fancier lotions have things like lactic acid or salicylic acid. So one of my favorites is called CeraVe SA, and the SA stands for salicylic acid. There's also one called Amlactin that has um, lactic acid, but it has a little bit of a funny smell. Mm -hmm. So I tend to like the CeraVe SA a little bit better. Um, but it, it, you're, it's going to look some better, but it's never really going to go away. Genetic, ichthyosis means, um, you know, fish. fish. Mm -hmm. And so you tend to get these kind of plate, your, your skin looks like these little plates, like a, like a fish scale. Um, so you're a little bit stuck. Yep, I agree. Any of the, the rough and bumpy lotions, they're getting a lot of them out there now, but they have some mild acids like the lactic acid, salicylic acid that can help. Um, and you want to put those on when your skin is damp. Again, that's going to help a lot. Yep, we take advantage of that dampness. Florida. Yeah. Eat Florida. <laughs> <laughs> so here's an individual who wants to know if their dry skin, uh, which was diagnosed as dermatitis, and itching be symptoms of an inactive thyroid. Uh, they have been ruled out for allergies, no rash, just plain itching, especially inner arms, thighs, and abdomen. Sarah. Um, so, so with with has a little bit of rash or doesn't have any no rash. rash? No rash. So then we call that pruritus, um, and and itchiness is always a little bit concerning to us. Like, could there be something else going on? I think the majority of times it does. People are itchy and they they do not have anything internal going on. But I think pruritus is always something that should be investigated. Yep. Lab tests, skin exam. Talking through, you know, is it because it's January in South Dakota? You know, then you're like, well, that's a little bit different. Um, frequently, we don't find reasons for pruritus, but we always want to try and figure it out. And thyroid is one of those things. So we all dermatologists yes. are going to have a list of, you know, their most common lab tests they're going to check, and thyroid is one of them. So, and it is, it is an easy lab test. I mean, yes. you don't have mystery thyroid problems. That's it's a pretty easy th lab test to do to find out. So, We have an, someone through email who says that they are male and they never use hand lotion and their spouse, who is female, always uses lotion. Is there a sex difference in the skin response? If you use lotion, does that make it more likely that you'll need more lotion in the future? Mandy, this, is, this reminds me of the conversation you were having with our students. Yes, I'm laughing. So, um, no, I think we're used to different skin sensations. So I, I listened to a very interesting lecture one time about men's skincare products and how they they have to formulate them in a way that their skin still feels dry to them because men tend to prefer that. And so I think it's it's not that our skin actually responds differently most of the time. It's that men like to feel a little bit more dry because they feel clean then. And I don't know why that is, but I, for my patient population, that and, is certainly the case. And yes. lotion is not addictive. So no, you no, can use all no. the lotion you want. Well, not and anymore. Yes, you, you are fine that way. Yes. So. Cosmetic dermatology caters to patients looking to maintain a youthful appearance by reversing the signs of aging or wanting to make aesthetic changes or improvements in their skin. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt spoke with a dermatologist at Sanford about some of the techniques they use to improve the skin's appearance. 
Dr. Anna Sonstegard says cosmetic dermatology often includes preventive procedures. Botox, presenting wrinkles, um, sometimes filler to fill volume in the face as we lose volume in our, in our face um, over time. Um, and then lasers are a really big thing for um, texture, sunspots, and some other things that you can do with laser. Dr. Sonstegard says Botox helps relax the muscles used to make facial expressions. She even recommends it to some people in their 30s. Botox is more of like a preventative measure to soften those muscles and uh, decrease those wrinkles over time. So Botox uh, is usually injected every three to four months and it takes effect within a week. She says filler is something that helps add volume and takes more time than Botox but you can notice the difference right away. Over time, we lose bony volume, our fat pads in our face kind of shift and move. And so when we add volume, we just kind of restore those natural features that we already have. There are many different types of filler, but the most common one we use is made of hyaluronic acid, which is naturally occurring in the body. Um, and so that just adds that a little bit of volume uh, to certain areas. People often do like the, the cheeks, sometimes around the mouth, um, the lips. She says lasers can be used for many different things. There are lasers for redness, there are lasers for sunspots, there are lasers for texture. And so it's really addressing the needs and interests of patients. Um, lasers have more downtime. So after a laser procedure, you may have, you know, redness, swelling, textural changes that last for a couple days to a week or two. And so sometimes that's a little more difficult for people to fit into their schedule. She also suggests keeping the skin healthy by using the right products. I always encourage people to, you know, protect their investment both before they start doing any cosmetic procedures and and after, um, and that means wearing things like sunscreen religiously every day, using a retin-A or a retinol on their face to kind of help with those fine lines. If that is, you know, directed to you and it's not to be used, you know, especially in pregnancy. So I think everybody knows what sunscreen is. Yeah. If you don't know what sunscreen is, um, I don't know where you've been living for the past <laughs> 20, 30 years. But how about retinol? Mandy, what, what is retinol? What, yeah. So retinol is the over-the-counter version of a retinoid. So what that does is it's a, it's a compound, kind of, like a, kind of like a cousin of vitamin A, um, that changes how our skin cells kind of slough off and reproduce. Um, it's been used in lots of different things, and I call it, if I had one magic bullet, that retinoids are probably it. But it can help a lot with, you know, sunspots and reverse signs of aging, prevent fine lines and wrinkles. It, it sounds like a miracle cure, but in our case, it, it does help a lot of different skin things. So the retinol to kind of reverse it and the sunscreen to help prevent, prevent it in the first place. So you really need both. Correct. So. We have a gentleman from Alchester in South Dakota who wonders what could cause the chronic itching in their groin. <laughs> well, number one, you could have a little bit of a fungus like, um, you know, athlete's foot, jock itch. So that is something. But then 
Um, once that has been adequately treated, those are skin folds that tend to get a little hot, a little sweaty, a little bit irritated. Um, so sometimes it's more of that, As it, again, since it said chronic too. Um, so sometimes we'll have them do almost things like in that diaper rash category, like um, while you're damp, put a little bit of Vaseline or zinc oxide just to coat that so things don't rub together. You bring up a good point. So I, a lot of people will use um, powders and I usually recommend against them. Um, it sounds like you might as well, but they tend to ball up and cause more irritation. So more we're that friction. Yeah. yeah. So trying yeah. to keep a barrier like, like the Vaseline, like you mentioned. That's again, lots of possibilities, but if those things aren't working, go in and and see someone. So we have someone from Sioux Falls who wants to know what the best sunscreen is. Uh, and in their case, they're an older woman. So what are your thoughts? You have a favorite? I, so again, kind of like the lotion, the best sunscreen is the one you'll use. So a lot of it, I, I tell people, needs to be SPF of 30 or higher, needs to be broad spectrum. Um, Which means be, UVA and UVB. Correct, yep. Beyond that, it's personal preference. But I, I do give people that really kind of pin me down. I give them some of my favorites, especially for face. Um, I like more mineral sunscreens. I feel like they're a little bit less irritating, especially if you have any rosacea or acne tendencies. Um, sometimes people like tinted sunscreens. So I really like tinted sunscreens um, just because it doesn't leave you with that whitish look to it. Um, it also depends on your price point. Again, you can kind of go crazy with it. but. There's lots of personal factors, I guess I would say. I like I use all kinds of different sunscreens. I think like every year I'm just trying something different all the time. <laughs> I don't feel like I ever stick to one. Right. Yeah. CeraVe makes a very nice. Um, so I don't like the CeraVe AM. I feel like that's a little heavy. They make one called CeraVe Ultralight. I like it. Um, I tend to like the Neutrogena products. Um, the Neutrogena Hydro Boost with with sunscreen I really like, and I, I think my personal favorite for my face is Elta MD, their that's, tinted sunscreen. That's really a good one, yeah. But again, you can, we can tailor it to people's preferences or how, you know. And again, so I think especially, it's kind of nice to, I think humans like to try new things, so you know, try some different ones and see. They, and then, then you get your favorite one, then it goes off the market. Uh, yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> we have someone else from Sioux Falls who just had her sixth skin cancer. Mm. And she, but she has hardly ever been sunburned. Uh, on the other hand, her husband is always getting sunburned, and he has never had skin problems. It's not Why? fair. <laughs> Not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> I, I think part of it we don't exactly know, but we do think the more fair you are, the more at risk you are. How, how did you grow up as a kid? How much sun exposure as a child? Um, it's no fun to get skin cancer. It's no fun to have those taken off. No, it's not. And it is, there's one part bad luck, one part genetics, one part we don't know. Right. <laughs> so. Um, here we have another wart question, and this individual has had a wart on their finger near, near the nail, and they've been treating it with a prescribed cream for eight or more weeks, and they really haven't seen any improvement. What? Suggestions. <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a terrible location. It is. I think I, the, the worst warts are around your nails, yes, cuticles. They, they're uncomfortable, and for me, I'm always really hesitant to do things because I don't want to damage that nail bed. 
So your your options are a little more limited in that location than they might be somewhere else. I like to sometimes do, you know, there's two main categories we use to treat warts. One is to physically destroy them, and the other is to try to get your immune system to recognize them. So that's that irritation all the time that can make the immune system recognize them. So sometimes we have to do both. You know, they have to come in for treatments as well as, you know, do things at home. So persistence, persistence, persistence. Um, here we have someone through email who has had five large ingrown hairs on their head. And before this, they never had problems. They've come at different times. It's very painful. Uh, <coughs> their primary care doctor has lanced them on different occasions and then referred them to a dermatologist. They got three more. They're very sore, and the dermatologist didn't want to lance them. Um, why is he getting this? And they were on Bactrim for six weeks and prednisone. Thoughts, ladies? Perhaps if they have it on the back of their head, um, that can be a condition where sometimes, if, especially with men, if they cut their hair too short, the hair slips beneath the surface and then instead of coming out the hair follicle, it twists a little bit. Um, and it depends on what your hair is like too, if it's straight or if it's curly. Um, so that would be the first thing, be careful about, you know, be careful. Let your Don't hair grow a little longer. Let your hair, be a hippie. <laughs> I always think about MRSA. Yes. In this situation, I always think about MRSA, which, you know, will often try to drain, but that it can be a very difficult, persistent problem. Some kind, sometimes Hibiclens or other uh, soaps that really help reduce the amount of bacteria on your skin can be helpful. That's, keep working with your dermatologist. That's my, that's my primary care answer. <laughs> Um, this individual's uh, husband has had a lot of skin cancer. Um, the doctors put stitches above and below and were told they were supposed to dissolve, but they didn't. And now this individual has had MRSA. What should they do? Number one, they probably have to be treated for that MRSA. Um, so I don't know, I'm not sure that there's really anything simple that they could do. They're probably going to need oral antibiotics. Um, do they have to take some of those stitches out? Hopefully not. Um, and they will dissolve eventually. They will dissolve they eventually. They will dissolve eventually. Yes. Um, and, sometimes yeah. for, and sometimes for superficial infections, we'll do things like vinegar soaks, but I, I don't, I'm not sure that would be the proper thing in this case. Um, here we have an individual who is diabetic and always seems to have itchy skin and has been diagnosed with a slight allergy to grass, but it doesn't seem to be associated. Is this something we see with diabetics? You can see a lot of different skin changes with that, but I don't, I don't think that is specific to the diabetes. And again, maybe look at, are you using some lotion? Where do you have it? I tend to be, it, just as a population, us humans tend to be itchy and rashy. And if you look at the, the um, instance of eczema, it's just going up, 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 up. Um, so one of the things I really like, the antihistamines, my favorite is Claritin 24-hour. Uh, because you can take it. I think it's one of the weaker ones, but I think you can take it kind of gets your itch down a little bit And it doesn't make you too drowsy. So I the those medications. I use a lot of those Can be very helpful um, Mandy What is a keloid and are there any treatments for keloids? There are a lot which means nothing works great um, <laughs> So keloid is a scar that has overgrown its its home basically you cut a spot but it's grown more than it should be. 
Um, simple things we can inject with steroids and then we get into a whole host of other things that have been tried but they can be really really frustrating yeah it's a it's a difficult problem so um, here we have someone from Roscoe who had skin cancer on the scalp that was treated surgically and they're having trouble with it not wanting to heal um, she's doing vinegar soaks and Vaseline is there any alternative besides the Vaseline that's not so greasy and any other thoughts? Sarah? Uh, there are different dressings that you can use, you know, like uh, kind of our standard dressing, I think in dermatology, we tend to do Vaseline Band-Aid. Uh, but the other thing that sometimes I'll have people alternate is uh, it's a it's Band-Aid brand called Hydro Seals. And that the old fashioned ones, they were called Duoderm that you could buy mm -hmm. medically. Um, but it is, it tends to make the tissue fill in better. You don't want it to get too soupy, so because it's almost like a waterproof bandage. Um, so sometimes I'll have people alternate, do old-fashioned, do Vaseline, um, Vaseline bandage, traditional, and then switch to Duoderm. Another one of my favorite, favorite dressings is called a Leave-In Gentle Border, and you can buy them on the internet. Uh, I believe it's A-L-L. Y-V-E-N, something like that, a leave-in gentle border. And what a leave-in gentle border does, it's just a dressing that you put on um, and it provides the proper amount of moisture. Uh, so not too dry, not too wet. One and a half minutes, one quick question each. Dermatologist or podiatrist for recurrent toenail fungus? <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> Either or, Either. whichever you want. Um, and here's someone who wants to know if Effudex can be used to treat squamous cell carcinoma on the scalp or only precancer treatment. First off, what's Effudex? So Effudex is fluorouracil, it's a generic name. It's a topical chemotherapy uh, medicine, and it can be used for thin squamous cell carcinomas um, in certain circumstances. So, so insight to maybe. Me. Maybe. Talk yeah. to your dermatologist. <laughs> Quick final thoughts, ladies. I, I feel like we're, tonight we've not solved a lot of problems, <laughs> but, but a lot of times dermatologists, we can help problems. We can, yes. It's, can. it's hard. Don't be afraid to go see your dermatologist. Get a skin check. Wear your sunscreen. If you've got something that looks funny, go see your dermatologist or your primary doctor. And yes. we can send you to the dermatologist if we can't get it Spots up. shouldn't bleed. Yes. Spots shouldn't bleed. Yes. If they bleed, not for long. <laughs> yeah, yes. Good point. The winner of our drawing tonight is Mary from Pennington County. Thank you, Mary, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. And we'll be right back after this. Because of the current events due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are bringing you a special edition on that very serious topic. We answer your questions about the coronavirus or COVID-19. On a sad note from us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, our creator, founder, medical director, host, and our friend, Dr. Richard Holm passed away after losing an amazing battle with cancer last Sunday. Rick was a wonderful example of how to live life and an inspiring cheerleader to us all. The world is a much better place because he was here. 
and it has lost a truly great human being. Even though our skin is the largest organ in the human body, it's easy to take it for granted. Unless we notice pain or itching or funny spots, most people don't give it much thought. However, the skin is critically important. It helps regulate our body temperature and fluid and electrolyte balance. It provides us with critical information about our environment and it protects us from invasion by the sea of germs we encounter every day. Some of the sickest patients doctors ever treat are those who have had significant skin loss, whether due to illness like toxic epidermal necrolysis or injuries like burns. This important organ can give doctors clues to diseases elsewhere in the body. Rashes might suggest celiac disease or an overactive immune system or internal cancers. Skin discoloration might alert us to liver diseases, hormonal conditions, or dangerous exposures. The skin itself is subject to diseases. Genetics plays a role, especially in conditions like eczema and psoriasis. Sometimes our habits can set the stage for skin problems. Sun exposure increases the risk of skin cancer, but it also accelerates the development of wrinkles. Smoking does too. So what can we do to protect our skin, especially as summer approaches? One big step is to protect it from the sun. Sunscreen is very useful. Use one that blocks both UVA and UVB light. Choose SPF 30 or higher, and don't forget to reapply every two hours. Most sunscreens break down when exposed to the sun, so even if you're wearing SPF 100, it won't last you through the afternoon. Sunscreen takes about 15 minutes to bind to your skin and protect you, so put it on before you head out. Use enough. The average adult needs at least a shot glass worth for each application. One bottle is not going to last your family through the whole weekend at the lake. Water resistance is useful, but sunscreen is never truly waterproof, so reapply after swimming or sweating. Ultraviolet light penetrates cloud cover, so sunscreen is important even on overcast days. And don't forget your lips. Many skin cancers develop there, so wear lip balm with SPF. Sunscreen isn't the only protective measure you can take. Consider the tried and true approach of covering up. Wear long sleeves, wide-brimmed hats. Stay inside if you can, especially during the parts of the day with the most sunlight. Your skin has a big job, protecting you from the environment. You can return the favor and protect it too. Ladies, we're gonna to have to do this again because we had questions that we ran out of time for. So thank you both so much for volunteering your time and helping us learn more about our skin and all the things we know and don't know about our skin. We have exciting Healing Words Foundation news. Our board member, Dr. Ken Bartholomew, is extending his kayak challenge. 
Some of you may recall that last October, Dr. Bartholomew completed his kayak voyage on the Missouri River from the North Dakota border to the Nebraska border. And his effort raised more than $182,000 in donations to the Healing Words Foundation, money we really, really can put to good use. Beginning Sunday, April 24th, Dr. B will extend his challenge. He will kayak from the Nebraska border to the Iowa border. To make a donation, click on the donate button at prairiedoc.org or mail to P.O. Box 752 Brookings. Be sure to include the word kayak with your gift. Thank you and bon voyage to Dr. B. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. Look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. So, from all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Doc, as we celebrate our 20th season of truthful, tested, and timely medical information, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. things that have different functions but are tied together to fulfill their purposes, ears, noses, and throats. Oh my, next time on Call with the Prairie Doc, celebrating our 20th season. <laughs> so, Mom, isn't this the year, the 20th anniversary season of the Prairie Doc? That's right. That's amazing. I, I remember when you and Dad started this idea of producing science-based medical information free for the public. That's right. And thanks to years of donations from businesses, organizations, and individuals, Prairie Doc programs are available on South Dakota Public TV, mm -hmm. Facebook, YouTube, podcasts, and our essays are printed in over 150 newspapers across many states it's and amazing. region. 150 newspapers. 150. You know, I'm grateful to serve with you on the Healing Words Foundation board and try to work to build new generations of, of listeners and followers. Many volunteers give their heart and soul to this Prairie Doc mission so that we can continue Dad's legacy of truthful, tested, timely medical information for 20, 20 seasons. <laughs> now, to help continue this important work, please follow the Prairie Doc and share our programs on all of your social media pages. To make a financial gift, please give directly to prairiedoc.org or mail to P.O. Box 752 Brookings, South Dakota. Thank, Thank you. you. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by... Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information.
And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flander District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.